It's great to be here with you this morning. So good to see you guys on this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, My name is Brent Stanfield. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Community Church, and what an honor it is to be able to preach to you this morning and to speak to you about thankfulness. Uh, What a great weekend it is uh, that we get to celebrate Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. As a matter of fact, it might be my favorite holiday. I enjoy the Thanksgiving season. Uh, it's uh, the food, although, you know, I don't have to eat that food any other time of the year, but for some reason, on Thanksgiving Day, turkey takes on a magical quality uh, that I wouldn't probably appreciate on any other day of the year. But uh, I, I like the food, and I, I know many of you do as well, and that's why we probably had plenty of people sign up for gym memberships after this weekend. Um, but for many of us, it's also about family. We, we love spending time with family, with friends. I know in recent years, uh, my friends and I have, have started a, a Friendsgiving tradition where sometime during the week of Thanksgiving, we try to get together for a brunch or a special meal and, and celebrate not just uh, with our family, but with our friends as well. Uh, there's games on Thanksgiving that people enjoy. Uh, yesterday, I saw somebody do the turkey toss for the first time. I didn't even know that was a thing, but apparently they wrapped up a turkey in, in uh, some tinfoil, and they saw who could throw it the farthest down the street, and, and the winner gets a, gets a special prize. So maybe you have some special Thanksgiving games that you guys play. But there's also one of my favorite Thanksgiving traditions that we do at, at, at our dinner table, and that's having everybody go around the table and say at least one thing that they are thankful for. And I always enjoy hearing what those things are as we go around to each family member, and, and uh, the adults do it, and the kids do it, and, and we get to share with one another what we are thankful for. What a wonderful holiday to do, to have, to celebrate thankfulness. You know, I was reading an article, uh, several articles this week about thankfulness, about gratefulness. And uh, there are lots of articles out there, if you just type in the benefits of being grateful, you'll find a whole slew of articles that discuss all kinds of benefits that come from being grateful, from expressing gratitude to others, to expressing thankfulness to others. If you look at some of these articles, just some of the, the benefits of being grateful are this, there, is, there are physical benefits. Uh, When people are grateful, they are typically more motivated to take care of themselves, to take care of their physical health. A grateful attitude is is essential, is key to self-motivation, to to being motivated to do good things for others and, and for yourself. People who are grateful, who tend to be grateful, tend to have better sleep patterns. They sleep better at night because they're grateful for the things they have, the things that are around them. Psychologically, uh, gratefulness tends to lead people to live happier lives, to, to be happier people and to, to live happier lives. It combats depression. As a matter of fact, there was one study uh, where a researchers had people who were struggling with mental health issues simply write notes. They didn't even have to deliver the notes, but write notes to specific people saying things that they were grateful for about those people. And the people who did that saw remarkably better results than the people who were kind of the control group who talked more about the feelings that they were feeling, the negative feelings that they were feeling. That It was very clear that gratefulness in and of itself helped combat those negative feelings you were feeling 
about yourself. So it has great psychological benefits, has great relational benefits. People who tend to be grateful are, have higher empathy, less aggression towards other people. Uh, it, it, we all enjoy being around grateful people. And so, that, of course, there's a lot of good reasons to be grateful if we just look at it from that perspective. But here's the question that I have you asked. Do we have a foundation to be grateful ultimately? Do we have a real reason to be thankful ultimately? You know, it's good to say, hey, I'm thankful for this or I'm thankful for that. But ultimately, where does our thankfulness come from? Who should we ultimately be thankful for? And this is a a real pressing question in our modern age where we live in an age where people doubt the existence of a purposeful universe. They doubt that we live in a purposeful universe where one of the main questions in our secular age is, are we all just the the random effects of chance? Is there any purpose to anything that we're doing? If there is no purpose to anything, if everything is just random chance that has just developed over time for no reason, for no purpose, is there any ultimate foundation for thankfulness? That's the question. Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, I think, discusses thankfulness very clearly in one of his epistles, in his epistle to the Corinthians, in his second letter to them. In chapter 9, verses 7 through 12, he says this, "'Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver.'" Now, with a start like that, you may think that this sermon is going to be about your giving. This sermon is about giving, but it's not about your giving. Let me take that off the table right now. We're going to start there, but what this sermon is about is not about your giving, because he continues. See, Paul is talking about cheerful givers. God loves a cheerful giver. But he explains in the next series of verses how that's going to happen. How is he going to have people who give cheerfully? He explains it. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is going to provide. How is God going to do it? By His grace. God will provide. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, who are the poor? Who has God given to? All of us are poor. We have nothing to give to God. We bring nothing to the table except what God has given to us. 
We are the poor. And if we are going to do anything good, it is by the grace and the righteousness of God. He continues in verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. See, there's this image here that not only does God provide the seed, the things that we spread on the ground, He also provides the product, bread. We sow the seed hoping that it will produce wheat so that one day we might be able to harvest it and make it into bread that we can eat, that can sustain us. But who is the one who actually is providing all of those things, the whole process from beginning to end? It's God Himself. God will provide that. And in the same way, He will provide you seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, all of your good works, all the good things that you do, God's going to do that. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. This is a promise. This is what God is going to do, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of his service is not for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Not only will the people of God be thankful, but the whole world will thank God. Why? Because of his grace through us. That's what Paul is teaching here. The grace of God to meet our needs produces thankfulness in us and throughout the entire world. That's Paul's teaching here. The foundation for our thanksgiving is the grace of God. It is God's grace to us that produces thankfulness in us. There is no foundation for thankfulness outside of the grace of God. One of our biggest problems as human beings is a lack of gratitude. It's one of our biggest problems. And we see it early on in our children, don't we? For those of us who have kids, it is easily recognizable in your own kids and even in yourself as you see yourself reflected back in them that gratitude is a serious issue that we have, a lack of gratitude. I remember several years ago in 2014, a team from Fee Teach Hope, which is a ministry that is operated out of this church, went to Kenya. And one of the things that we do in Kenya is we support a school called Christlike Kenya Academy. All right? And at Christlike Kenya Academy, the, the school is made up of children many of whom are orphans or have single parents, most of whom, if they have parents at all, go and work out in the tea fields all day. And the kids are just left there kind of on the streets to fend for themselves all day by themselves. And a, a, a man named Linus came in and started Christ Like Kenya Academy to get most of these kids off the streets, but they have next to nothing. And on 2014, a team from Fiti Chope went to Christ Like Kenya Academy, and they brought just a couple things, very few small gifts, one of which was a couple of soccer balls. 
and the joy in that facility when they took off the, the wrapping to the soccer balls and handed to, that, to the kids was just incredible, just overflowing as the kids celebrated this, this great gift of a couple soccer balls. And they played with those soccer balls the entire time the team was there, kicking it up and down the schoolyard, and they enjoyed that gift. What gratitude from just that, that small gift. And the second thing that the team did was they, they provided electricity to the school building. They wired the school building. They, they provided electricity to the school building. And, of course, just the kids were just amazed that for the first time in their, their entire time there, they actually could turn on the lights in the rooms that they were studying in, or they could, they could turn on a computer uh, and, and have it run inside the school building. You see the joy that comes out of, of those small gifts, things that we would say are, are small gifts, and you come here and you wonder, would anybody, would any of our kids be excited or happy because they, they got a soccer ball for Christmas, if that's all they got? Or would any of our kids, or would we be excited if, if we could walk into a room and, and flip on the lights? We have those resources in abundance, but are we any more grateful? Or have we grown accustomed to those graces? Have we grown accustomed to those things and taken them for granted? See, quickly, we begin to take the grace of God that He gives to us daily, moment to moment, for granted. It's a fundamental problem that we have. It's a fundamental problem that we face. You see, our biggest problem is not the meeting of our physical needs. It's not the meeting of our physical needs. We will take those for granted. Even if we, we, we continue to get more and more, we will take that for granted. I'm reminded of the, of the story about uh, Rockefeller, um, who uh, was one of the richest men in all of history, probably. He was a billionaire at the beginning of the 20th century when, when it was unheard of to be a billionaire. Um, and I remember he was asked by a reporter, you know, John Rockefeller, how much more money do you need? You, you've got so much money. How much more money do you need? And his response was just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. You know, it doesn't matter. And if he would have gotten a little bit more, you know how much he would need? A little bit more and a little bit more. The, the meeting of our physical needs is not our biggest problem. We will always want more until we have what we really need. And what is that? Well, this idea of thankfulness that, to show that it's such a big problem, I want, to, I want to go back to Romans where Paul talks about what is one of the major problems in this world. What is the major problem in this world? And that's the denial of God. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is addressing why God is so angry at the world, why His wrath is leveled towards the world. And he says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world and all the things that have been made. God, God's existence, who He is, is clearly perceived and clearly understood through the creation. But we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. You see, this problem of gratitude is fundamental to our human problem. It is fundamental to who we are, our inability to give thanks to God. And he goes on to say, not only do we not give thanks to God, but we, we in our suppression of the truth, we, we end up giving thanks to all kinds of things that cannot possibly account for the creation, that cannot possibly account for all that we have. We, we give thanks to false gods, or we give thanks to people through whom God works, but who could not do that on their own. Anybody but God, we reject God. And that's our fundamental problem is the rejection of God, the suppression of truth. In James, uh, the, the apostle James, or the writer of James, says this in James chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good thing that we enjoy... Every good thing that we love and that we possess comes from one place. It comes from God. Every good thing. That, that phrase that he uses there at the end of that sentence, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Light, if you, if you understand the biblical imagery, is a symbol for goodness. God is the Father of lights. He is all good all the time. There is no shadow in Him. There is no darkness in Him. There is no evil in Him. He is fully good, completely good, and if anything good enters this world, then it must come from God. And then James says this, of His own will, He brought us forth. How did He do that? by the word of His truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. See, this is the great gift that God has given to us. This is the great gift that God has given to us. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness, but the great gift that God has given to us is the truth, the word of truth, the gospel. God has given to us the gospel, the truth. It actually happened. Jesus did come in the flesh. Jesus did live a life of sinless perfection. Jesus did die on the cross for our sins. Jesus was resurrected, defeating sin and death. And Jesus is the King of the gospel, 
the Word of truth. The great gift that God has given to us is the Word of truth. And when we receive that Word, when we place our faith in that Word of truth, then we are saved. You see, our greatest need, the thing that we need most is to trust God. The thing that we need most is to place our faith in that word of truth, in that gospel, so that we can be saved. That's our greatest need. With our suppression of the truth, the thing that we need is to have the scales from our eyes lifted off, to have our hearts softened, to be changed so that we can believe what God has said, what God has done through Christ. That's our greatest need. And so the question is, how is God going to meet that need? How is He going to meet that need? You know, when you look through the New Testament and you start to read the Apostle Paul, it becomes very clear that Paul is a very thankful guy. As I walked through the epistles of the New Testament, I noticed that there were at least 13 times where the Apostle Paul uses one of these phrases, I give thanks to my God. I do not cease to give thanks. I do not, um, uh, I always, or we always thank God. Paul uses a, that phrase or some combination of that phrase at least 13 times in the New Testament. He's a very thankful guy. Matter of fact, he uses it in every single one of his epistles, every single one of his letters, except for one. And we'll talk about that one in a little bit. But it's very interesting to notice what Paul is thankful for. See, Paul's expressing gratitude, he's expressing thanks, but he's expressing it for something very specifically. He's very specific in what he gives his thanks to. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 1, verses 8. First, I give thanks to God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He gives thanks to God for all the people in Rome who have faith. He gives thanks to God for that. And I want to make it very clear. Paul, a Jew, former Jewish rabbi, is not of the mind to say things like, oh, I thank God for that, as if it's just a casual expression that you might hear every day around these parts, where people say it without really giving deep significance to that. He is not going to take God's name in vain. If he is thanking God for something, there is deep theological significance to what he is saying here. And the first thing he says in Romans, this is, the interesting thing is that most of these passages come as the very first statement he makes in most of his letters. I thank God, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. In 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9, he says this, I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's thankful for the Corinthians. 
He's thankful for them because of the faith that has been manifested among As the gospel has been confirmed among them, he is thankful to God for them. In Ephesians 1, 15 through 21, he says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, Christ, in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, that in every way, well, I'm sorry, do not, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation of the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope in which He has called you. Paul knows he, in every letter that he writes, in virtually every letter that he writes, he knows that the faith of the people to whom he is writing is the work of of God. It is the sure work of God on their hearts. Their biggest need to believe the gospel has been met by God who has given them this faith. In Philippians 1, 3 to 5, he says this, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you, for you are for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he says this in verse 6, and I am sure of this, that God who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. In Colossians 1, 3 through 5, again, these are the first statements he makes in all of his letters. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since you we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, of your faith and your love, that is the work of God. We thank God for that because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. See, the gospel went out. Paul preached the gospel among the Colossians. And fruit was born. Faith was born in the hearts of each one of those Colossians believers. And it was the work of God. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 5, he says it this way. And you can read this up here with me. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. As they remember these things, as they remember how the Thessalonians work in faith, as they remember how they labor in love for one another, as they remember how steadfast their hope is in the Lord, they give thanks to God for that because it is God who is at work in them. And he says this at the end. He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. How do they know that He has chosen these individuals? How does He know it? Because our gospel, the word of truth, came to you not only in word. We didn't just preach it, and then it just didn't sit there. But it also came in power and in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended upon these individuals and produced in them what? Full conviction that it is true. The Holy Spirit worked in them to bear fruit 
when the word was preached so that they knew it was true. See, God met their greatest need by His grace. By the grace of God, they believe the gospel. God meets our greatest need by giving us faith in Christ. That's our greatest need. And it is a need that in every way God meets. In our unrighteousness, we suppress the truth. We are foolish. We are ungrateful. But when the word of preach and the Holy Spirit convicts, our eyes are opened and we see, we believe, and we are saved. That is the gift of God. But that's not all God does. He doesn't just start this process. He doesn't just meet that need. He continues on. In the second letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he's already thanked God for their faith. He's already done that. But in the second letter, he says this, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love for every one of you, for one another, is increasing. <clears throat> See, since the first letter, he has heard reports about the Thessalonians that not only did they have faith at the beginning, but that faith that they had at the beginning is growing. It is becoming stronger. There is evidence that they are maturing in their faith, okay? And it's the evidence is the love they have for one another. As their faith is growing, so is their love for one another. They are, they are caring for each other. They are serving one another. And it is that love that convinces Paul that their faith is growing, and so is their love. And who gets the credit for that? God does. And here's the thing. The Bible is very clear that this is the Thessalonians who have more faith. This is those individuals who have more faith. The Bible is very clear that this is the Thessalonians who have this true love for one another. <clears throat> but who gets the credit? Who does Paul thank for that? God. It's God who is working in them. And God's grace meets our need by growing our faith. One of the, the, the main mistakes that people sometimes make is, is assuming that God is necessarily in competition with His creation. He's not. God does not compete with His creation. God completes His creation. It is not a question of whether God does the good works or God has the faith and gives it to us or whether we have the faith, okay? The question is whether God is working in us to produce the faith, to give us a knowledge of the truth, to help us to do good works, to do them through us, or whether He's not. He is not in competition with us, but our only hope is that He completes us that He completes 
the work that He has started in us. And that is why Paul can say to the Philippians, I am assured of this, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it through to completion. He will fill you. He will fill you with more faith. He will give you more knowledge of the truth. He will grow you and mature you, and He will pour His love into you so that it works itself out through you. Many of you have grown in faith since you first came to believe, or at least I hope that is your story. I hope it is that your story, that from that moment you first believed, that you have continued slowly, certainly, but over time continued to grow in your faith and your love for other believers. I hope that is your story. I pray that is your story. And it has probably happened in many ways, maybe through a book that you've read or a, a preacher that you enjoy listening to. Maybe it was through parents who faithfully taught you the gospel or a friend who, who has been discipling you over many, many years. Maybe it was over a miraculous heal, healing or some event or set of circumstances that, that prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that God cares for you and that He loves you. I don't know how it has happened, but however it has happened, your growth in your faith, the set of circumstances and, and the influences that you have have been orchestrated by God to make that happen. And not only is He orchestrating the outward circumstances around us, but He is also working in us so that those circumstances around us change us. He is the one changing us through those means. And He's working both inside and, out, and, out, both inside and outside of us to bring that about. He is completing the work that He has started in you. If there is any truth that I'm giving to you in this sermon that God wants you to hear that somehow moves your heart, it is God who is doing that, not me. It is God who is at work, not me. But we're not finished yet. We're not finished yet. In Romans chapter 6, verses 17 through 18, Paul says it this way, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. You see, God doesn't just grow our faith so that we can become more knowledgeable Christians so that we can have more assurance in ourselves and just leave us there. He does that so that we can also grow in righteousness, in good works. In Romans chapter 6, Paul is talking about in context, he's, he's asking the question, well, since we've been saved by grace through faith, do we even have to do good works? Can we just go on sinning? If it, if, it, if, it doesn't, if it doesn't make a difference, if we're not saved by our works, why can't we just go on sinning? And he responds to that, and he says, by no means. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are called to righteous living. But lest we think in any sense that that righteous living is due to us, it comes from us. Let verse 17 correct you. Thanks 
be to God. If you do anything good, don't say, well, thanks be to Brent. Don't say that. Say, thanks be to God who is at work in us and who has made us, who has freed us from being slaves to sin and who has made us obedient from the heart. That's what he says. He has changed our hearts so that we want to serve God and made us slaves to righteousness. It's God's work. It's God's doing. You see, God's grace meets our need by giving us good works. In no circumstances do our good works form the basis for our salvation. We are not saved by our good works. They form no part of the reason why God saves us. They are the gift of God for us. God gives us good works because He is saving us. It is part of the benefit of what God is giving to us. I mentioned earlier that there was one epistle where Paul does not start with, I thank God for this. I thank God for all of you. And that one epistle is the epistle to the Galatians. He doesn't say, I thank God for you and your faith, because what he is combating in Galatia is this very problem of do our works, do we still need works to save us? And he's writing to a church that is in turmoil because in some sense there is a sect which is teaching them that they must do this to be saved. They must do that to be saved. And Paul is not happy with that. It's not like the Corinthians who he has heard about their faith. This is a lack of faith. This is a you must do something. It's not about trusting God. You must do something if you are going to be saved. And he is not thankful for that. He's not thankful for that. He is writing to combat that heresy. What he is thankful for is for a people who do nothing but trust God for their salvation. But although we trust God for our salvation, we also trust that He is going to produce good works through us. Paul writes this way about himself. When he's writing to Timothy, his friend, he says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, chapter 12 through 13, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. See, Paul was an enemy of God. He was an enemy of Christ. He was seeking to destroy the church, but God saved him. God said, he didn't do that for Caiaphas. He didn't do it for Pontius Pilate. didn't do that for Nero. He saved Paul, and he appointed him to his good works, of which we read all the time. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says it this way. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of, any of them, though, not, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. And Paul is not just saying this about himself. He also recognizes that this is how God 
works in everybody. He says in 2 Corinthians 8.16, But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. See, Paul was concerned about the Corinthians, and he knows that Titus is too. And he says, thanks be to God who put the same earnestness and care in Titus that he has in me so that Titus can come to you and minister to you in my absence. That's what, Jesus, that's what God does. One of the greatest gifts that God gives to us as Christians, as, as people, is the concern that other people have for us. I think of the concern that I have for my kids, that they might know the gospel. And that is God's gift to them. My wife's concern for them. Your concern for your kids is God's gift to them that you might share with them the gospel out of your concern, teach them the truth so that they might know Christ. That is a great gift for your kids. But it's true of all of us in in various ways. I was reading a story from one of our members who posted on Facebook. It was a story about the Titanic. Some of you may have seen it. But it was about a Reverend John Harper who... Uh, booked passage on the Titanic. He was a well-known preacher in the United States. He went home to visit family in England, and he had almost booked passage on the Lusitania, which was another famous liner to make the trip back from England to the U.S., but at the last moment, he booked passage for himself and his daughter on the Titanic, wanting to, to travel on this new ship. And on the night when the Titanic hit the iceberg, he first was, was told to leave his cabin with his daughter. He went out onto deck. He made sure that she made it into a lifeboat. And then he, after making sure she was safe, he began walking up and down the deck. He removed his life jacket, and as he walked up and down the deck, he asked if people were saved. He said, are, are you saved? Do you know Christ? Have you believed on Christ? And the first person he found that said no to him, he gave him that person his life jacket. And he said, you need that more than I do. And he continued to walk up and down the, the deck, pleading with people to turn and believe on Christ. And when the ship finally sunk, he jumped into the water, and he was seen by witnesses swimming from person to person, asking them if they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, are they saved? Are they saved? And at one time, he came to a young man named Aguila Webb, who was the last person to see him alive. And as he talked to Mr. Webb, he asked him twice whether he had believed on Jesus. And after the last time Reverend Harper said that, he succumbed to hypothermia and he sunk below the waves. And Mr. Webb, giving his testimony four years later at a church in Canada, said that it was there, after hearing Reverend Harper ask him those questions, that he gave his life to Christ. And he was one of seven people to be pulled out of the water after the Titanic sank. It's stories like that. A chance change of a ticket at the last moment. God putting onto the heart of this reverend, not to save himself, but to make sure his daughter was okay, 
and then to look after the souls of other dying men and women. That shows that God put that on His heart. If for nothing else than to save Aguila Webb so that he could give his testimony four years later. And who knows how many, hearing his testimony, went on to trust Christ for their eternal salvation. That is the work of God. It is the work of God through people. I always have been moved by Paul's writing to Timothy in his second epistle when he says this, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure also dwells in you. See, God's grace gives us faith, God's grace grows our faith, and God's grace gives us our good works, our mission in this world. But God's grace comes to us through people. God works through people. I don't know who it's been for you. We've talked about it, maybe parents, sibling, a spouse, friends, a great preacher, a great author, a church. I sure hope it's been this church. But God works through people. So what do we do with this as we close here this morning? Well, the first thing is let's come back to thankfulness. The first thing we do with this information is that we thank God for the people of faith in our life. We thank God for the people of faith in our life. I don't know uh, about you, but I, I was here a couple days ago, a couple weeks ago, for the harvest dinner that we had right here in this auditorium. And what a special night it was to be here with the church body as we had our own dinner where we thanked God for the goodness He's shown to this church. And it was remarkable to me, I don't know about you, but uh, as we passed the microphone around, I was grateful for a couple things. One was that it went so much better than the last time we passed the microphone around. Uh, some of you remember that. It didn't go that well the last time. But what a wonderful night it was as we passed the microphone around, and there was an opportunity for people to share their thanks for the faithfulness of the church that had come together, worked together for each other. I'll tell you this, as a pastor, uh, as an elder, there is nothing that ministers to the pastor's heart more profoundly than the faithfulness of the people of his church. Not to him, but to God. There's nothing that ministers more profoundly to a pastor's heart than that. So what do we do next? The next thing we do is we partner with the people of faith God has put in our lives. That's what we do. Paul says it in his writing to the Philippians. He says, I am so grateful. I thank God for your partnership from the first day to the last day. 
I'm so grateful for the partnership that we have together. Church is not a social club. We do not come here together to, to build relationships alone. We come here to partner with one another for the sake of the gospel, to strengthen, to, to, to first of all, to, to preach the gospel so that God may use that to create faith in us. Secondly, to strengthen one another's faith and to grow in love towards one another. And third, to overflow to the world, to overflow that grace to the world. And that's the last thing that we do. We let God's grace overflow from us into the world around us. We started off this message with a message about being a cheerful giver, a cheerful giver. God's grace abounding to you, His sufficiency in everything so that you might have sufficiency in everything. Give generously. In light of that, give generously of your time and your talent and treasure. Give cheerfully. Give thanks to God. Partner with one another. And cheerfully give. And know that the whole time that this is going on, it's God at work. It's not us. It's God at work through us. That's my prayer for you as we end this Thanksgiving season and move into the Christmas season, that our faith would be in Christ and that works would abound, good works would abound. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do put our trust in You. We thank You so much for all that You have given to us, Lord, and we have so much to be thankful for. Day in and day out, You have provided to us. Moment to moment, You give us so many good things for which we are grateful, Lord. You have met all of our needs, and as we sit here in the Woodlands, Texas, we, have, we live in a community of abundance. Lord, and I know that there is suffering here. There are people here who, who want for physical needs. We, that is here, that is present with us, Lord, but You provide. You provide, and You have provided to us so that we might love one another well, so that we might give cheerfully to our neighbor, to our friends, to our family, and to the whole world that they might also share in the same thankfulness that we have and be thankful to You for providing to them through the people of God that You're working through. Lord, we pray for that. I pray for that for our church. I pray for that for each of the individuals here. In Your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>